Cut, where we speak with the women-identified directors who are making the movies we love <laughs> so much. More Deadly is a trans-inclusive podcast where we celebrate the work of cis and trans women, as well as non-binary filmmakers who are comfortable being included in a space that centers the work of women. Joining me is my forever queen. It's the one and only Ari. Hello. <laughs> hey, girl. How have you been? Good, good. I've been good. Oh, God. This week, I've been listening to a lot of uh, another podcast called Fun with Horror. Yes. Which I'm sure you've heard of. Mm -hmm. Yes. One of the things that we get to do today is we get to send them a congratulations on 100 episodes message. I love the show. I've listened to it sort of on and off for a while now because I occasionally will like chitty chat with one of the Mm -hmm. hosts on um, on Twitter. Oh, X. Sorry. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But. I don't know. I just feel so moved by that show because now I don't know if this is narcissistic, but it reminds me so much of us. I know. <laughs> like they're best friends. Yeah, they're who, really sweet together. Yes, who stay in contact because they live apart from mm-hmm. each other through the podcast. Yeah. And I like and I and there's so much love between the two of them. And it just like makes me think about how much I love you and Aww. how grateful I am for this podcast me too. and the way that it is made you doctor <laughs> <laughs> no, at true, least twice it's like a an month appointment per so year. that you don't get yeah. so busy that you stop talking to each other because that's so easy to do you know but yeah I mean the, the mm-hmm. listeners don't know this because I cut it out if we record it but we always like talk for a really long time before yeah. we start recording and it's nice it is nice and I love it and like it is when when there are times where I'm just like I'm so tired I'm so burnt out I don't know if I can keep doing this yeah the thing that keeps me coming back is not just my love of horror, which is powerful, but like what this podcast means for us and our friendship. Mm-hmm. So I love you, girl. I love you too. <laughs> You're so sweet. <laughs> All right. Enough of that mushy stuff. How have you been? How is the neighborhood? Do you have neighbors upstairs? What is going on? Uh, yeah, I don't have neighbors upstairs yet, but I have a feeling Excellent. that I will very soon. No, are you using the police tape? So not yet because, uh, they haven't painted all the way yet, but as soon as they're okay. done painting, then they're going to start showing it. So uh, they, they said three weeks of construction. It has been ugh. seven weeks, Rachel, 7 a.m. Oh. to 5 p.m., five days a week, every single day. I oh. have been driven insane by the construction sounds. Do you miss your weird neighbors now? Yes, actually, because <laughs> at least that wasn't constant, you know? <laughs> I said to put some earplugs in for a couple hours here and there, and I was fine. Yeah. So, but yeah, the second they're done, I am gonna put the caution tape up. I will take pictures. I will send you pictures so that you. You know better. I'm waiting. <laughs> and you gotta make sure you also you gotta tag the guys from um from Trick or Treat Radio, Trick or Treat yeah. Radio, because there it was their ideas. <laughs> yeah, I will. 
And I think they will be delighted to know. Hopefully it works. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, Fingers crossed. man. I don't need any Although more the problem is, is like the more you see, make it seem like it's not good or like haunted, yeah. the more likely you're going to hear like even more crazy stuff up there. They're going to be like doing exorcisms on the apartment. <laughs> <laughs> That would be amazing. All right, let's get into the show. What do you say? All right. All right. We have, I always say this, but it's true. We have an amazing show this week, you guys. Today, we are going to be talking about another movie that I happened to see at Sundance. Like, (laughs) humble brag, not really, but you know what I'm saying. (laughs) Which has been one that has really, really stuck with me since then and has like totally gotten under my skin and I've thought about a lot, which is the film My Animal, directed by Jacqueline Castell. Uh, who we speak to today about the making of this film. And like, I don't know. I feel like we learned a lot about the film. I also feel like we learned a lot about what it takes to be a director from this interview. Which, by the way, quick disclaimer, I want to make sure everybody knows that we spoke to Jacqueline exclusively in her role as the director of My Animal in Adherence with the SAG-AFTRA and Writers Guild of America strike guidelines because we support the strike. We support these writers. We support these actors. They make most of the serotonin in my brain, (laughs) right? So the least we can do. (laughs) So pay them fairly. (laughs) Pay them fairly. If they are an essential part of our culture and our existence as, you know, as people. So please, please, everybody support the strike as we do. That being said, we are so excited to talk to Jacqueline, who is, made an incredible film, um, yep. a thought-provoking film. And uh, I want to hear her talk about it. What do you say? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. But before we do that, <laughs> of course, I know, I know. I sound like I was transitioning yeah, I so. right I was into the interview. Say, Rachel, did You're you like, I didn't something? work. <laughs> and I would like to have the receipts of that on the show. I want to know more about Jacqueline because I got to know about her filmmaking experience, but tell me about her. All right. So Jacqueline Castell is an American born French and Canadian queer filmmaker who is currently based in New York. Yep. Apparently she actually has citizenship in all three of those countries, which is pretty cool. That is boss. That is boss. (laughs) (laughs) She is a citizen of the world. Literally. That's dope. Uh, But despite that, she grew up in Reno, Nevada. So there you go. Whoa. Whoa. Talk about culture shock. I know, right? (laughs) That's wild. I know she also talks a little bit in our interview about somewhere else that she lived, but I'm sorry. That might be in your thing, so I'm going to shut up. (laughs) So she earned her film and TV BFA with honors from NYU's Tisch School of the Arts. And she did additional coursework in film programs at the Academy of Performing Arts in FAMU. Is that, you think you say it that way? F-A-M-U. If you don't, you should. And starting now, everybody. (laughs) All right. Well, now I'm going to have to leave that in. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if you say it, you're family. Right, right. (laughs) Anyways, it's in the Czech Republic. So that's cool. And uh, she also studied at Cal Arts in Southern California as well. So in 2011, she directed her first short film. It's called 12 Dark Noons, and it's a psychedelic apocalypse movie that was shot in the Australian outback, which sounds really Oh, Yeah. That's rad. And, like, that's the first one out the gate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my first film, if I were to make one, would be like, what can I do in my own backyard and or living room? And with my cats as actors. <laughs> oh, 
Okay, hold on. I gotta go. I gotta. <laughs> something just came up. I gotta. I gotta go do something. <laughs> I mean, people are making movies with iPhones these days. You got one of those, so. I do. Oh my god. I'm gonna be famous. <laughs> All right, so in 2016, she directed another short film. This one is called The Puppet Man, about a supernatural killer who stalks a young woman and her friends in a seedy, neon-lit dive bar. And it stars John Carpenter as a taxi driver. What? Yeah. Isn't that wild? Holy mo... She... The universe is just, like, handing her the most of... Not handing, but you know what I yeah. mean? Like, like so much of movie making is, like, labor and just tenacity and then some of it is just magic yeah, right which is something absolutely. we'll talk about in our interview but she should be buying bacon it's <laughs> <laughs> holy shit <laughs> that's amazing so she has been working consistently as a cinematographer since 2011 and she's also the in-house director for the record label sacred bones records and has directed music Ooh. videos for a bunch of artists including zola jesus the soft moon and pharmacon not boy harsher no i don't know huh i thought for sure when you said she did music videos i was like oh boy harsher <laughs> is coming okay that would make all right sense, though isn't it yeah. Um, yeah 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 so she also was previously a co-director at the miskatonic institute of horror studies in new york which if you guys cool. are not following them on social media you should especially if you live in new york because their programs and the mu- the movies that they show always look so rad i wish i lived close to them they do a ton of stuff for women horror directors too. Really? Mm-hmm. Like, is it stuff? Is it stuff that we know, and it's just like your opportunity to see it on the big screen, or are Both. these like up and coming? Yeah. <gasps> and they, that they teach awesome. like classes about you know themes and movies and just like really cool shit all the time. So. Oh my god! I would actually get, have an educated commentary right? instead of just <laughs> pulling this out of my butt every week. Amazing. <laughs> Oh, man. So on top of all of this, she's also an artist. She takes photographs and she does like live projections. I'm not exactly sure what that would look like, but her work has been shown in the Guggenheim, MoMA and the Getty Museum in L.A. Wow, that's amazing. I'm not surprised, though, like that her artistic vision is so clear. Oh, yeah, it's real strong. It is a visual Mm -hmm. piece, my friends. It's a buffet. <laughs> All right, so my animal that we're talking about today is actually her feature film directorial debut. It had its world premiere at Sundance, where Rachel caught it earlier this year. Yes. And then it was screened at a ton of festivals, including South by Southwest, Sitges, uh, the International Film Festival in Rotterdam, and Fantasia Film Festival. They shot the film actually mostly at night in Ontario, Canada. She talks a little bit about this in the interview. Because apparently it got down to negative 30 degrees and they were filming <gasps> at night. Oh, And there were some naked scenes in this too. So <laughs> that hard. Not naked scenes. <laughs> it's scandalous. <laughs> uh, they're made of tough stuff is all I have to say. <laughs> Heck yeah. Heck yeah. So she listed uh, Cat People, Possession, and Twin Peaks as inspiration for her film, which I feel like makes a lot of sense. Really. She's missing the big one that I was picking okay, up on. What's that? In, I was I was getting like major uh, near dark vibes. Oh, from this. I can see that. Like I was like, this is like the queer werewolf near dark. Yeah, I mean, especially sort of the the sort of seedy small town bar situation, you know. And the score yeah. is like very like Tangerine Dream mm. adjacent. I mean, obviously it's boy harsher influence, but right, yeah. right. 
Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then uh, as for what she is doing next, I don't totally know. But in a 2017 Variety article, it was reported that she was in pre-production on a narrative feature, which was a Tokyo set erotic thriller called Edges of the Flesh, which was co-written <gasps> with Sasha Gray from The Girlfriend <gasps> Experience, which you love. What? Yeah. Yes. I mean, every single word you have said in the last <laughs> right. 10 seconds has been my favorite, like better and better after each word. <laughs> Tokyo set, erotic thriller, awesome name, Sasha Gray. Yeah. Like this sounds amazing. Yeah. So there hasn't been any news for it, but, and it's, there's no word on it on IMDb or anything, but on her actual personal website, it says that it's still in the works in pre-production. So hopefully we will actually on, get man. this movie. Because it All right, everybody really go good. see this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you should see it anyway, but I really, really need, what is it, Edges of the Flesh? Yeah. So if this, I really if this need comes that. out, you know, we all got to support it. But yeah, go see my yes. animals so that somebody gives her money to make this movie, please. Heck yes. Heck yes. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Oh, great. Awesome. Okay, well, let me tell you a little bit about this mo- movie. Um, but first, how do you want to handle spoilers? How are we do- handling spoilers this time? <laughs> All right. So because this is a more deadly director's cut episode, we'll handle spoilers a little bit differently. Rachel is going to give you a non-spoiler synopsis. We're going to give you a short mm-hmm. non-spoiler review. And then after that, we will drop the interview and you guys can listen to that. But there are like a few little spoilers in there. So just know that going in. Nothing too no. major, major, no. major, but like, um, so you know, like if you're super spoiler averse, I guess. I think you mostly be fine. Yeah, agreed. All right. So this movie, it focuses on Heather, who is a young woman. We use she uses she her pronouns and, and Jacqueline used them as well in the interview, although I feel like that's a little it's a little soft in the film that she yeah well i think especially because the actor themselves uses they them Mm -hmm. pronouns but in everything i've read about the film it's all she her yeah i i feel to me that's a remnant of the sort of like weird liminal timeline of the film like in the 80s or 90s whenever this may have been set especially in a small binary language yeah 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 yeah. but anyways i just want to say that for the record (laughs) yeah like that is what all the press materials say but if your interpretation is different that's fine anyway Heather is living with a secret in a very isolated town in Canada. Not only is she queer with a passion for the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. I mean, who doesn't? But when the full moon comes out, she has a little bit of a transformation situation going on. She works at a local ice rink and dreams of joining the local hockey team. But like essentially kind of a lonely experience until a new girl shows up. Johnny, played by the luminous Amanda Stenberg. I don't know that there's a more beautiful human on the oh planet God, or whatever. <laughs> so she shows up and the two strike up a friendship and have this instant connection. The question is, does Johnny feel the same way? Can their love, should it come about, survive in this small town? Not to mention the changes that are happening to Heather each month when her animal emerges. Mm-hmm. So that's my non-spoiler synopsis. That's like some... Very, very early first act information. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> All right. So let's get into our very brief review. What did you think of this film, Miss Ariel? This is a beautiful film. I mean, like you were saying, visually, this mm-hmm. movie is a treat. There are so many like mm-hmm. interesting color choices and mm-hmm. just like the way that everything's filmed, how much we get focused on their faces. I don't know. It just is like this really interesting, small scale, intimate story that just mm-hmm. pulled me in. And I think a 
large part of that is the acting between the two leads. They are so amazing together. They have so much chemistry. You just want to keep watching them, you know? Yeah. And Bobby Salvador Menwes is so Mm -hmm. good as Heather. Oh, my God. They are asked to do so much in this role (laughs) and be, like, so vulnerable. And they they do it so well, especially because there are so many complex emotions that go on in this Mm -hmm. movie from, like, dealing with, you know, her sexuality in this small conservative town, dealing with a super dysfunctional family. Mm. It's all so emotional and it's really a lot of it on their shoulders and they do such a good job it's kind of unbelievable like this movie hit me in the heart it made me feel things (laughs) yeah um and that is difficult because Mm -hmm. it's a somewhat emotionally taxing movie but i think ultimately so rewarding because it just has so much to say i don't know i i loved it um but it's a hard movie to get through yeah just emotionally Yeah. I would also say that it has a very deliberate pace. I think people who are impatient will struggle a little bit for things to kind of like move forward. Mm -hmm. But this movie, I found it hypnotic. And some of it has to do with the color palette. Some of it has to do with sort of the surrealistic um, elements in it, whether they're dream sequences or love scenes, any of those things are, are shot very artistically. So to know that Jacqueline has this art art background, like this fine art background makes yeah. <laughs> absolute perfect sense to me um, because the aesthetic of this film is so, it is so intentional and so visionary and beautiful. Um, it's an immersive film. And a big part of that also comes down to the score and the soundtrack for this film. We've mentioned Boy Harsher a couple of times, but the film is written by Jay Matthews, who is half of uh, the band, electronic band Boy Harsher who I saw open for Danny Elfman and was amazing. <laughs> amazing. They are incredible live. If you get a chance to see them live, they're going to blow your freaking face off. They're awesome. So it was written by Jay Matthews. And then it was actually the score is by um, the other half of that band, Augustus Muller. And it is vibey and electronic and hypnotic and dreamlike and just so cool this movie is so cool and that's another reason that reminded me a lot of near dark is it's just such a vibe also it's like i know it's hard to imagine now but i was like a pretty isolated lonely kid growing up (laughs) (laughs) i know can you imagine me not having a ton of friends i i can't picture it at all i'm i was so cool and normal (laughs) whatever those people are boring and they peaked in junior high anyway so so like i totally totally vibed with Heather and like like all I wanted was for someone to show up in my town and like notice you sweep me Mm -hmm. yes notice me and like I just super connected in some degree with like the realism of this and the wish fulfillment of this film and um yeah I don't know this it's a beautiful melancholy hypnotic i know i keep using that word but like that's the best word i can describe the experience of watching it and i also really loved it yeah i mean i don't know like you're saying i think some people might have a trouble with the pacing um and it will break your heart there's one scene in Mm -hmm. particular in a bar that really broke my heart but i think what you get out of it is worth your time yep 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 i mean i think she's so vulnerable but like i think you could fear like is this a brandon tina story but it's not because she has this power right and like 
and when it's the power like there's a supernatural power but like because werewolf stuff is just it's just metaphor it's really folks it's just metaphor so like her power is her queerness and for that to be the thing that like makes her so in some ways invulnerable is i don't know it's, it's cool very... and like sexuality is yeah. really kind of at the forefront of the movie too and the director mm-hmm. doesn't shy away from showing like sex scenes masturbation scenes fantasy scenes you know and they're all filmed that thing really with the egg is gonna right is 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 some next level uh-huh. I, we didn't ask about the we egg should have asked because about the I, egg. <laughs> I know i always feel like a creep when i'm asking about this and you're so much better about just like asking <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you that I did interview the cast back in like uh, when Sundance aired yeah. and I did kind of bring up the egg and they both just laughed. Oh, really? So <laughs> That's funny. All right. What do you say we stop talking and start listening to Jacqueline? Sounds good. All right, everybody. Enjoy our interview with the amazing Jacqueline Castell. Let me just start off by saying I'm so excited to chat with you today. I actually originally saw this film at Sundance. And it has stuck with me in a way that few films do. I've been thinking about it and waiting for it to get a wide release because I've been wanting to talk about it and getting to talk to you about it is especially exciting. Because like I said, it's it's just like really gotten under my skin in the best way. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you so much. I really, uh, I really appreciate that. And it's so cool that you were one of the original people that got to see like the first screening of the movie. So at the first festival. So that's really cool. So, like you said, your film has done some festivals, but now it's finally getting a wide release. How are you feeling sort of on, you know, the cusp of that happening? Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's this double-edged sword of feeling very excited and terrified at the same time, you know, but I think that's probably normal, right? Because you're (laughs) like, you're preparing to kind of release this, uh, this animal, right? This, this, this thing that you birthed into the world and, and see how people are going to respond to it. And it's going to be fascinating too, just because I feel like even at every festival, there's a different response, just kind of depending on the energy in the room and like, you know, um, just like the types of audiences that are going to come to this because it kind of like it straddles genre and it it straddles like you know like uh like like the queer community and there's also like this dramatic component and like a family component and it's it's got a coming of age sort of angle to it too so Mm -hmm. it's really interesting to see how people respond to it differently it be it still feels like this live living breathing entity even if it's even if it's set in stone, like, cause I'm not changing the edit between screenings, but yeah. people are responding to it differently. And I find that really interesting um, that you can have a conversation yeah. with audiences that way. So yeah. it'll be cool to see how people respond in the theater. It'll be see, cool to see how they respond, like watching it digitally at home. Uh-huh. You know, like, it, it, it's, it's going to be, I'm, I'm excited to see what their response is. Uh, I think um, that's so exciting because like, I think your film is so complicated and so layered and nuanced, especially the relationships between the different characters. I can absolutely see how different audience members are going to take away different things from it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's hypnotic. It's a hypnotic Mm -hmm. film that I feel like it's no surprise. It's like tapping into different parts of people's like psyche, because I know that I found myself just sort of like absorbed in it with sort of the pace, but also the score, all of those things, the visual elements. It really is such a, a special and beautiful film. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> so the movie is a lot about, has a lot to do with like being an outsider and that feeling of not fitting in, right? Is that a topic that you have a personal connection with? 
Oh, definitely. I mean, I think that that's always the kind of stories um, and characters that I'm really interested in. It's like that outsider perspective or like how the individual has to kind of deal with the conflict of living in society and how you have to reconcile and ultimately accept who it is that you are in order to authentically craft a path in the world. Um, which I think is something that's really um, confusing and difficult when you're younger. I, I really love that in the context of the coming of age element of it, because that's a time when people are really struggling. And that's a time when I really struggled when I was young. And so I think a lot about like being a, in a position now where I can make movies. You know, I was when I was younger, I used to obsessively watch films and it would really help me through difficult moments in my life. And so I feel like if I can make something that's for that younger version of myself, and like contribute that and be like, it's going to be okay <laughs> to somebody else, then I feel like I've kind of, you know, done my job in terms of like, like contributing back in the way that so many filmmakers contributed to me when I was young. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think a big part of this is that it is, I think outsiders exist everywhere, right? But there's something particular about being a queer person in a small town. And I'm curious, what made you decide to meld those kinds of ideas with a werewolf myth, like mythos? Well, I mean, I think, you know, I grew up in a lot of really weird small towns. Um, and <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm also really interested in stories that take place in those types of environments, I kind of have like a real love for it. We shot it in a really small town as well, just to kind mm -hmm. of also capture that feeling. Um, but yeah, I mean, like that that was something I just really connected when I got this the the screenplay because I just felt like I, I don't know, like one of the places I grew up when I was like a kid was in Topeka, Kansas. And I grew up down the street from the Westboro Baptist Church, mm -hmm. you know, and like Fred oh, Phelps. Okay. And so I saw that like every single day growing up. And like that really like. I don't know. That really marked me. I remember once when my like my babysitter, she uh, she rolled up her car and she rolled it up to Fred Phelps and she spit on him. And I was like, yes. <laughs> <That's amazing. laughs> and I was like, I don't know. I was like, I don't know, nine or 10 or something at the time. But like that felt really empowering to me or just this idea of like, you know, I don't know. Weird. Like even like my first year of high school and stuff, we were getting flyer because our our high school had the first like lgbtq club that was like there in in the state and it was like at that high school and so i would get like there'd be flyers on everybody's cars saying that we were going to hell and you know all this stuff and so <laughs> i think it just um there's something about that that made a lot of sense to me and 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 combining that with this werewolf you know sort of you know like i mean i think all genre is like working on, it's operating on like a true to life physical way but it's also has a, obviously a metaphor behind yeah. it right and that yeah. like these ideas that are being expressed through that metaphor and and i love this idea of like a character that's grappling with um elements of themselves that feel like are not accepted in that kind of environment mm -hmm. and have to sort of like figure out how you integrate that and how you ultimately accept that part of yourself um that that is like something that is uh, otherwise something that's not desirable in society or in this particular society or environment. So um, yeah, I don't know. I just think it, it works on a lot of different levels to combine those ideas. Oh, that's so interesting. That story, like the spirit of that story is very present in this. And I'm curious if that 
if that kind of background in any way sort of influenced the time that this takes place and was it always meant to be set sort of in I assume the 90s based on the lack of cell phones or <laughs> it's yeah. a little ambiguous yeah. <laughs> but yeah I kind of wanted it to be a little ambiguous but I definitely wanted to reference this time period when I was growing yeah. up in the 90s there are these elements of it that feel kind of 80s but it's like yes. this idea that when you're in a small town especially before like like technology like the internet and cell phones you're basically like these small towns would take a while to update you know so even if it was like the 90s like nothing's really been changed yet <laughs> or people are still driving cars from the 1970s and like I, I love that idea and also just like playing with the notion of like class and like that you know in these smaller towns there's not the ability to have the newest car or the newest house or this or like remodeling things all the time so I love like kind of being in this weird in-between state or this state of just feeling a little bit lost and mm -hmm. not knowing exactly where you are. And I think there's something really interesting about that for a viewer too, because you're not impressing on them. This is like, you know, 1997 or this is 2016 or this, or mm -hmm. you can kind of give it a little bit of space so that people can project different experiences onto the work, you know? That makes sense, um, yeah. I feel like, you know, you watch like movies with technology in it. And it's like, you watch a movie where you see like an iPod or something, like an original <laughs> iPod, and it looks like ludicrous now. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like sometimes maybe like I could get taken out of a movie with that sometimes. Like mm -hmm. I know like, more yeah. off in the future, I'll be able to appreciate it more, but now it seems so silly. So there's something about being purposeful of it. Like it's definitely not anywhere, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, it's in this other time period or this time period where it was like, you know, where you were more isolated, you didn't have an instant yeah. communication with people. And if you couldn't just catch them on the telephone, like an analog phone, like you were not going to be able to talk to them, you know, mm -hmm. there was no in which to connect with them. And like, that's just something that like, I just remember being young and that feeling of that. And I thought it just worked again with like, yeah. working off these ideas of like outsider, like an outsider character, you know, living in this, you know, this isolated like experience. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so that's reflected in the technology as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that isolation really comes through. You feel it so strongly for Heather, especially just how trapped she is. I think the fact that you only use a couple of locations in the town other than kind of the woods also adds to that. Yeah. Kind of and that, that was, that was very, that was very purposeful. We shot like in this small town, Timmins, Ontario, nine hours north of Toronto, and that was one of the things I fell in love with it is that it had that kind of feeling to it. And it felt kind of almost like Twin Peaksy. Like it just felt yes. yeah. strange and weird. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this mm -hmm. is where I want to shoot. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you really add to that with like the visual style of the film, like in particular, your use of color, like red is heavily used in this. And I'm curious yeah. if you could talk a little bit about, it feels intentional, right? It feels oh. very purposely used. Can you talk a little bit about how you used it and like the, maybe sort of the meaning to you when you were using it? Yeah, I mean, like, I talked a lot with my DP about, like, from McCashin about just, like, how we are going to sort of philosophically approach the film. And one thing I was really interested in experimenting with was this idea of there being this very, like, grim and harsh reality, but then there being the reality of the emotional space. So anytime, and I, I really love subjective movies where you're really in it with the character and you're feeling the things that they're feeling and you're hearing them breathe on screen and there's like the elements that kind of put you in their like position. Yeah. 
Um, and so I really wanted to explore that from the perspective of like, when you think about your first encounters with like your first love, it's very distorted, you know, mm-hmm. and it's flush with emotions and you're not seeing things maybe as they actually are, you know, like, I mean, whatever that even means, but you, you're, you're projecting so much and there's so much fantasy in that realm. And so anytime there are moments of like heightened, um, you know, just like, heightened feelings of like love or lust or anger. I wanted to push the film in a certain kind of direction. And mm-hmm. red in particular was very symbolic of the union between, um, between, you know, uh, Heather and Johnny's character. Mm-hmm. And so that was like used mm-hmm. in a lot of other ways, even in a real world context where, for example, when they have a conversation in the back of the, like of the car, mm-hmm. the brake lights are in between mm-hmm. them. Right. Like mm-hmm. it's a yeah. natural use of it but it's mm-hmm. still there as a way to show that they're growing closer. And I also did that with like Johnny's hair. Like she has little braids, like pink extensions that mm-hmm. start to show up more in her hair mm-hmm. as she starts to fall in love. I love that. But as they pull apart from each other, then she's no more, she doesn't have any more pink in her hair. And so there was mm-hmm. also that idea of just always playing with color when these characters are getting closer or farther away from each other. Oh, um, I love that. So. Yeah, so I, I wanted to kind of just, I love building in that kind of, um, that kind of texturing and layering in a film and finding these little things that, again, like not everybody's going to see or pick up on, but you know are there and you know are going to kind of like psychologically impact people in ways that they, you know, may not be picked up on. So um, yeah. I love that kind of stuff. Oh, me too. And I feel like the red evolves because we see it towards the end when she has that confrontation outside the bar. And I mean, everything is just flooded with red. And um, I love it. I love that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's so cool, I think, because it's like, you know, red can be like the blood and the anger, but also Mm -hmm. the lust between the two characters. It's Mm -hmm. very layered. I really appreciated that. Mm -hmm. So uh, speaking of the love and lust between the two characters, Bobby and Amanda have such great kind of natural on-screen chemistry. You know, there's just like a magnetism between them. How are you able to achieve that? And is it true that they actually knew each other before filming? Yes. So I, okay, unbeknownst to me, I, I, I really like to research, um, actors quite heavily like and I and I look into like their own lives I look into things that they're interested in I really like think about like I love bringing people to a project that are going to connect with it on a personal level too you know much like I connected with the screenplay like there's got to be something that kind of tethers you to it because then you're building out that world with that kind of collective energy and I think there's something really powerful about that so when I was researching um you know, like my my two lead roles where I was going to kind of build out the whole world from Bobby and Amanda Lowe were both my top picks, which um, I was like, yep, just going to go for it. These are the people. This is what's going to happen. And <laughs> we just go in with this like blind, sheer optimism, like this will happen. I'm going to manifest this. And it's there's a little story that's kind of interesting. Um, there is a um, right before we started the casting process, maybe like maybe like six or seven months beforehand right before the pandemic struck, I went to the Wolf Conservation Center in um, upstate New York. And I went there to just observe the wolves and to take them in and to talk to the people at the center. Amazing. And when you're when you're there, you can symbolically adopt a wolf where you basically oh, just you know, uh-huh. you pay money to help support for their food needs and things like that. 
Very cool. And so um, I adopted this wolf named Diane and I adopted her specifically <laughs> because that's the goddess of the moon and the hunt and yeah. of tomboys I later learned. And I was oh! like, perfect. <laughs> perfect, it's Diane. And so then I, I adopted this wolf and then, you know, we started in the casting process and I went out to Bobby. Bobby really connected with the script, was like, oh my God, I love this. And, and, uh, and then it was really funny because right around that time, I got this notification from the Wolf Center being like, it's your wolf's birthday. And I looked at it and I was like, oh my God, the wolf that I adopted has the same birthday as Bobby. What? <gasps> like, that's I got like, that's wild. Isn't it? I love that. That's so cool. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, this was supposed to happen. That's yeah. it, you know? And yeah. And that first call of Bobby that we did, this first Zoom, Bobby, of course, was like, well, who's, I'm dying to know who do you want for like the role of Johnny? And I was like, I really want it to be Amanda Stenberg. And Bobby was like, we know each other. <laughs> so that was just, like really crazy because I did not know that. And it was really special because... I mean, like while we're doing this formal approach to Amandala, you know, Bobby's there and like talking to Amandala on the side and being like, we really have to do this movie together. They were looking for an opportunity to do it. And what was also really funny is that Bobby's like revealed that when they first met, they had a little bit of a crush on each other. So perfect. (laughs) The chemistry was natural. (laughs) So that like really helped do like a lot. I mean, like to their credit, like having that relationship already in place obviously helps with a lot of the legwork you know and that was really that was really like comforting to me as a director because I you know like we're it's a it's a you know small budget which already has its constraints on like when people can you know see each other and rehearse but also it was during a pandemic so there was a lot of rules in place about what we could and couldn't do Mm -hmm. and so um it really made me feel comforted knowing, okay, my two leads, at least we have this going into it, you know, because it wasn't really until we all got to Timmins that we really got to start to like kind of work on the characters more and right. on, like the performance elements and the characters and talking them through. So it was really like, it really made me feel good knowing that like I was, that I had some safety like with that. Mm-hmm. But then mm-hmm. they were so incredible on screen and then pushing them and pushing them to work together in these new ways and and I don't know. I, I like I, I I adored working with the two of them. They're incredible. That's amazing. Well, speaking of working with them, actually, as I'm watched was watching this, they I mean, there are some really incredible love scenes between them, but there are also really intense emotional scenes. And I as I'm watching this, I'm wondering, like, as a director, how do you balance pulling all of that out of the actor while also taking care of them as people at the same time? I know it's it's really it's really tough, you know, because you have to go through these certain kinds of scenes. And I think that like, you just had to sort of inherently have to understand as like a director that you have to be willing to let your actors go to the places that they need to go to and mm-hmm. like get into these, these certain types of spaces that are not always going to be positive spaces, you know, right. and that's the key to unlocking certain things. And so there are all, all sorts of stuff that you you do, like you have to kind of know when to step back, when to get really involved, when to give them space. You know, Bobby, I think, prepared a lot via like music and listening to certain types of music right before going on into a scene um, and getting to a certain emotional space. Or there would even just be like little things when we would have to do like like tough shoots where it was really cold outside and you know, um, Bobby's about to run through the parking garage, you know, during this transformation scene, screaming the whole time. And I would just like <laughs> sit there next to Bobby 
just like jumping up and down and like, just like kind of trying to create the energy, you know, right, and like, I think right. that really helps your actors when you can get into that kind of space with them and like, mm. you know, and where, I don't know, where you can kind of play because it is one big psychological game that you're playing with each other. <laughs> <laughs> and and knowing where those boundaries are of like what's too far or like are we pushing back here because it needs to be pushing back here in this exact moment because that's what my actor needs from me you know right. and it's like it's such an inter I mean that's such an interesting part of the like directing process is like getting into that space with your actors and helping them as much as you can to get to these very vulnerable positions and I and I think it's really interesting from a director perspective because you kind of have to split your brain you have this part of your brain that's like okay this like crazy problem is happening and production this isn't we, we need this thing and it's not here in time and this and this and you have to be like very like kind of aggressive about getting certain things done but then right. you have to turn to your actors and immediately be very soft and vulnerable with them and being able to like always straddle those two positions of being like okay now I'm putting my like just sort of like more producer hat on and then now I'm putting this like director hat on and switching back and forth those things for the between those things and creating that kind of space I think is really it's really important and it can be like a hard thing to do sometimes especially when like you feel like oh there's this nightmare happening on set over here and we're our location just got lost but I gotta turn that <laughs> off right now you know like that's for our day and so it's very it's a very interesting balance um of just getting to those places but I think you just have to kind of talk it through with your actors and figure out what it is that they need and also just sort of understand inherently emotionally what they need to get through yeah. a scene and that could be going in so many different directions you know like mm -hmm. sometimes they need it to be aggressive you know in order sure. for it to to feel that way and I there was a lot the, the moment I felt that really the most was the the fight sequence at the end of the film that I think there was a mm -hmm. lot of nervous energy and I think that for our actor Corey who is playing the role of Rick yeah. he's such a conscientious person and he was very nervous about that because he was like I know I have to go to a certain place with my anger but I, yeah, right. I don't want to go too far and this is it this is also devastating to me to think about this happening to a person you yeah. know so it's like it's interesting those places you have to go, especially when they're on the darker side of the spectrum, you know, mm -hmm. and how you create that safe space for your actors to be able to get to that place while also feeling supported, you know, um, yeah. so it's, it's, it's really interesting. That's uh, so interesting. It never occurred yeah. to me that that's such a fundamental skill set that you need to have as a director. It's not just like a vision, like an aesthetic vision or a, you know, a organizational skills or storytelling, yeah. but it's also there is a big psychological element to it. That's fascinating. Oh, fascinating. So. And even just with <laughs> your crew and what your crew need from you. And it's like, okay, does this person, is this person going to like do better if I'm like hard on them or if I'm nice to them? Because right. people have different things that they respond to. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? You could be mm -hmm. really nice to somebody and they don't do anything. And the second that you get a little snappy, they immediately hop too. And it's yeah. like, okay, whatever their style of relating is, it's just different. And it's not yeah. a bad thing or a good thing. It's just different. Right. And you kind of start to understand that and you understand what people need from you to feel supported in their roles, you know? So it's, it, it's, I feel like you're kind of a psychologist when you're <laughs> a director, you know, yeah. like, um, <laughs> For all the people on the team, you know, and figuring out what, how you can best support everyone around you and, and, and lead everyone around you. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so fascinating. Especially because I feel like a lot of directors in the genre space decades ago didn't take the energy or time to take care of the actors. And yeah. you're asking people to go to such extremes in a horror movie that 
Yeah. I'm, I'm glad to know that like that part of the behind the scenes stuff is changing, you know? Oh, um, yeah. I know that we're like basically out of time, but I just yeah. have to ask this question about the ending of your film without spoiling anything. The film kind of ends metaphorically with like, I don't know, Heather kind of chewing off her foot, right? To escape town. That's like small yeah. town that she's living in. Do you see this as ultimately hopeful the way that your movie ends? Yeah, I mean, and I think that that was, it's so interesting because the end of the film went through a few different versions on a script level and also how we shot it. And then when I edited it, it became different than what some, we like removed some scenes too. But ultimately I feel like in the editorial process, you really have to just listen to the film and listen to what it's trying to tell you and the message that's trying to come forward and be open mm. to things. Even if you shot certain things, you have to get rid of them or whatever. But as I was making it, I was like, you know, like, I really want Heather to come out of this feeling like she's, yes, she's on her own, but that's like the path towards self-actualization. She's got to love herself before anything else is going to happen in her life. And so there is this sort of like driving off into the moonset kind of sort of, yeah. <laughs> but I do while it's, while it's, um, there, there's, there, it's a, it's like bittersweet, you know, where yeah. there's this sadness to it but also this ultimate optimism that she's on her way to crafting her own path and becoming the person she's meant to be. And that doesn't always happen in a way that's um, easy. It actually mm -hmm. often happens when it's really mm -hmm. difficult. Mm -hmm. So I think like, I, I love that messaging, you know, because you start off the movie with like Beauty and the Beast and this idea that somebody else is going to save you. Yeah, but by right. the end of the movie, she has to save herself, you know? And so mm -hmm. I really... I really like that element of it. Yeah, I yeah. love that. <laughs> I think it's, it's so a big beautiful. part of why it just stayed with me. Like I said, I like I I've thought about it and processed it and thought about the dichotomy of the endings for her, for Johnny, and how where they started and where they ended, how differently it was, and like who was free and who wasn't. I don't know. I yeah. love this movie, and I am <laughs> so grateful for you taking the time to chat with us today and being so generous with your time. I'm so yeah. excited for people to see it. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be fun to talk about it with other people for mm -hmm. sure <laughs> yeah thank you so much I really appreciate the like uh just the excitement for the for the film and I'm very happy to be here awesome. <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> All right. So that was our interview with Jacqueline. Did I lie? Was that not amazing? Was she not incredible? Do you not feel like you know what more like the psychological parts of being a director look like? I had never it had never occurred to me how much compartmentalization you have to oh, do because yeah. you wear all of these different hats like to some degree, I imagine because the director is like the director, they're kind of protected from some of that stuff. But I guess as an indie director, like you are front lines for freaking. Oh, everything. yeah. I mean, they have to make all the decisions and do all of the things. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I never really thought about that either, that you would have to have these kind of like separate tracks you're working on. Yeah. Yeah. I also like that she talked about how you like have to protect actors, both kind of physically from the elements mm -hmm. and stuff, but also emotionally, psychologically as they're going through these scenes that are super vulnerable. Um, I think that's so important to talk about because so much of like past horror, we hear these stories of, you know, actors being kind of like tortured to get, you know, to get <laughs> yeah. performances out of them. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm sure that that still happens. Today. Oh yeah. I did notice there was like an intimacy coordinator on, mm -hmm. on set for this one. I do feel like, when we're, I, I'd like to believe that these women and these indie directors are the ones that are kind of like maybe moving the culture forward. You know what I mean? Because they 
know, they don't have the money and the protection that like some of these big studios do have to like hide their bad behavior. That's what I want to believe. I don't know if that's true. That's like fully my conjecture, but it sounds like we've asked that question to a couple directors now. Like, how do you protect your, your, your our actors? And I think I'm going to keep asking that question because I don't think it gets asked enough. And I think that the answers are, are infallibly interesting. Yeah. Speaking of interesting, how about her friend spitting on Fred Phelps? <laughs> <laughs> that was so cool. It was great to get like an insight into her childhood and kind of like how that was an inspiration for the movie. You know, I, I love mean, that. You shit. can feel that punk yeah. rage and spirit and like unwillingness to put up with bullshit yeah. in this film. Like that's one thing that I really feel like you come away from Heather. Like Heather is not hiding. Like they're not like wearing a rainbow flag but no. they're also not hiding and i think that there that spirit was like born in that expectoration exp- right that's the word for spitting that's the grand, grand <laughs> elegant word for spitting expectoration so. yes nailed it <laughs> <laughs> but i love that story that's so so cool and then the the other thing that blew me away was the whole thing about the casting i know it's so cool that I had read that that I had heard that like mentioned that maybe they knew each other, but I didn't know uh-huh. the whole story. So uh, cool. I certainly didn't know about the wolf having their birthday. No, of course not. <laughs> That's so rad. Diana. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that the two lead actors like knew each other and had crushes on each other prior to being cast. Oh my gosh. In my French vanilla fantasy, they are like fully booed up now, happily ever after, because you know. Maybe Heather and Johnny didn't get that. Maybe Heather and Johnny in real life could. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, that was great. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did because that was a ton of fun. And we, I think we made it clear. We think you should definitely see this movie. It is in theaters on September 8th. Look, go to the Fandango. It's not hard. Google it, Fandango, or if www.fandango.com, whichever is easier for you. I'm not here to judge. <laughs> you can do it. You can go direct. You can go grammar route. I don't care. Point is, find out if it is near you so that you can support this film because this is the kind of interesting shit we want as horror fans. You know what I mean? I watched a few movies this week that were mainstream releases, and you know what? They were hella samey. Yeah. You know what my animal is? Unlike anything else. So let's support it. Go see it in theaters. Check it out. We Or when it hits VOD. Not sure when that is yet. They have not announced yet. But definitely check out My Animal. All right. Let's do the wrap up. <laughs> you guys have heard me say this many times. In fact, you're probably reaching for the fast forward button right now. But don't. Because maybe. Just maybe. I'm going to switch it up. Uh, we would love to hear from you did you have some thoughts about this movie did you have thoughts about movies you think we should cover do you just want to say hey girl hey you can always drop us a line at rachel at zombiegirls.com or you can come chat with us on the zombie girls facebook page or slide into the dms at zg podcasts that's podcasts with an s at uh on instagram and twitter aka x whatever um and threads and then i don't know are we on blue sky do we need to be on blue sky are people blue skying i don't know let us know question slide into the dms (laughs) at one of our other things and let us know should we be on blue sky or is that just one more thing we have to update 
(laughs) (laughs) And if you love the show, do us a huge favor. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you get your pods. All of those reviews actually really do matter and they stroke the ego. Don't you want us to have big egos? Of course you do. Of course you do. If you're looking for something spooky to watch tonight because you've already gone to the theater and seen My Animal, which opens in theaters on September 8th, then you can check out our video on demand and streaming calendar at zombiegirls.com where we keep track of all the spooky doings that are happening on all the streaming services. And yo, it is spooky season. (laughs) When I tell you shit is popping on video on demand and streaming this time of year. What I mean is my hair is great. <laughs> <laughs> so check out that calendar. And if you want to support us, you can click on any of the things and go through the affiliate link and rent them and we'll get like a penny or something. And But spiritually, you'll know you have supported the podcast you love. And really, you can't put a price on that. Can't put a price <laughs> on that. Speaking of which, buy some of our shit. We've got merch at zombiegirls.com forward slash merch. And of course, we have a Patreon where you get extended episodes, bonus episodes. You get to hang out on our Discord. Um, and it's spooky season. So I'm sure we'll have some shenanigans uh, afoot. Uh, yeah. So that is it for us this episode, except for what we're going to do on the next episode. Ariel, what delights, what spooky and wicked delights do our listeners have to look forward to for the next episode? All right. So for the next episode of More Deadly Directors Cut, we got a chance to talk with the director of Satanic Hispanics, Gigi Saul Guerrero. It's an, wah, an- wah, wah. <laughs> it's an anthology horror movie, <laughs> and she directed an amazing segment on it. We're super excited to talk to her. We yes. have been in love with her since Culture Shock came out. Yep. So uh, I think it's going to be great. I hope you guys like it. And girling imminent. <laughs> it's going to happen. Sorry. Yeah, it's going to happen. Once again, we're going to tr- walk in and we're going to be like, we are cool. And then we are going to immediately be uncool. Yeah. <laughs> we can't help it, guys. <laughs> we're just nah. not cool. <laughs> no, we're not. It's fine. It's fine. We know who we are. We embrace it. Ariel, take us out. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of More Deadly Director's Cut. We hope you enjoyed our interview with Jacqueline Castell. And uh, come back next time where we talk to Gigi Saul Guerrero. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Thanks to everyone for listening. And thanks to my co-host, Ariel, who's always willing to come on here and geek out about horror with me. And finally, thanks to the women who make the horror films we love so much. Production of this episode was done by yours truly. Editing was done by Ariel Messman-Rucker. And our theme song, More Deadly, was by Elizabeth Kyle and Eric Newell.